0: Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Joshua chapter 23. Joshua chapter 23. Forgetfulness can be a frustrating thing, can it? The first car I owned was, uh, I think I was 19 or 20 years old. It was a 1986 black Dodge Omni with four doors. And it needed a little bit of work. I am um, not very mechanical by nature, so... Uh, I did what I could, but I remember on several occasions we'd have to push-start this car. It was a clutch, uh, a a manual transmission. On a manual transmission, you could push-start the car. And uh, so because the engine wouldn't turn over, my brother and I would have to do that. Now, I usually took my natural, normal position in the front seat of the car since I was the older brother. My younger brother, he had to do the pushing. So we would get in the car, and we'd, we'd push this. Down the road, and usually it would start right up after you popped the clutch. Well, I remember this one time we just had a real bear of a time trying to get this thing to start, and it would not start. My brother was uh, so frustrated because we had gone up and down our block about three or four times, and we could not get this thing to start. And he was he was uh, he was beside himself. He comes up to the front window, and he says, "Jacob." Do you have the key turned on? And I looked at him and I said, "Scott, of course I have the. Oh, yeah, I uh, yeah I have it on. Yeah, it's on now. I didn't tell him, but it was on now. now. Let's try that one more time. I think we're going to be fine, Scott." So he pushed it again. Sure enough, it started right up. And uh, forgetfulness can be a very frustrating thing. But you know, forgetfulness is in that situation was because simply my my ignorance, my foolishness, but. There are other times when forgetfulness can be a lot more dangerous. Like the time when uh, Billy Graham, famous evangelist back in the late 50s, was holding a revival uh, service out in, in California, Los Angeles, I believe. And his, his sister-in-law and brother-in-law came out to, to, um, to visit him. And they came and they talked, they chatted, they exchanged greetings, they asked how things were going. And in their conversation, in their preliminary talk of uh, chatting and whatever, uh, Billy Graham asks his sister-in-law, who is this young child that you're holding? Who is this? What's her name? Who does she belong to? And his sister-in-law said, Billy, this is yours. This is your daughter, Anne. He, He didn't recognize that because he had been so busy with all the things that he barely even got to see his daughter grow up. So forgetfulness can be even more dangerous than simply uh, or in ignorance. It can also happen because, simply because we're too busy. We're too busy with all the things that are going on in life that we forget. But you know, forgetfulness can be even more dangerous than forgetting your daughter. Um, there was a lady by the name of um, Margaret Poole. She was 62 years, old, 62 years old, a retired school secretary in England. And she was suffering from lung cancer and so she underwent an operation at Leighton Hospital there in England and in 1999 the doctor went to drain fluid from her right lung that was where she had the cancer but instead of putting the needle into her right lung he put it into her left lung and before he, before uh, he realized uh, or until he realized that it actually caused a lot of damage and a few hours later, Margaret Poole died of a heart attack. So forgetfulness can be even more deadly, more dangerous than simply forgetting who our child is. It can be deadly. But this passage here in Joshua chapter 23 shows us that our failure to remember what God has done and what He has commanded us to do can even have worse effects than the loss of someone's life. It can actually affect our relationship with God. Now, Christian, the Christian life is not rocket science. You don't need a degree to become a Christian. It just requires a steady faithfulness to God. It requires that we remember what He has done for us and what He's told us to do and then simply following after Him. It doesn't require... A great deal of energy or or it doesn't require a great deal of thought in under in order to understand that. But that can be difficult. We we often forget our, by our very nature we are forgetful people. Let's turn to or let's begin reading in verse one of chapter twenty three. Now it came about after many days when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies on every side, and Joshua was old, advanced in years. The Joshua called for all Israel, for their elders, and their heads, and their judges, and their officers, and said to them, I am old, advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is He who has been fighting for you. See, I have apportioned to you these nations which remain as an inheritance to your tribes, with all the nations which I have cut off from the Jordan even to the great sea toward the setting of the sun, The Lord your God, He will thrust them out before you and drive them before you, and you will possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Be very firm then to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses so that you may not turn aside from it to the right or to the left so that you will not associate with these nations these which remain among you or mention the name of their gods or make anyone swear by them or serve them or bow down to them you are to cling to the Lord your God as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out great and strong nations from before you. As for you, no man has stood before you to this day. One of your men puts to flight a thousand. For the Lord your God is He who fights for you just as He has promised. So take diligent heed to yourselves to love the your Lord your God. For if you ever go back and cling to the rest of these nations, these which remain among you, And intermarry with them so that you associate with them and they with you. Know with certainty that the Lord your God will not continue to drive these nations out from before you. But they will be a snare and a trap to you and a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Now behold, today I am going the way of all the earth. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one word of all the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. All have been fulfilled for you. Not one of them has failed. It shall come about that just as all the good words which the Lord your God spoke to you have come upon you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the threats until He has destroyed you from off this good land which the Lord your God has given you when you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which He commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you and you will perish quickly from off the good land which He has given to you. Today we're going to see that faithfulness to God requires full obedience to His Word. And that ultimately res- results in separation from from evil. So faithfulness to God requires full obedience. To his word. We see that in verses 1 through 6. Joshua begins his farewell address in verses 1 and 2. The conquest had now been over for several years. They had defeated all of these Canaanite um, people, and now it was time to enjoy the rest that God had promised. Now, Joshua at this time was probably between the ages of 100 and 110. And we know from the end of the book, the next chapter, that Joshua ends up dying at the age of 110. So, this could be one of his last. Speeches. verses 3 and 4, we find that God is faithful. And I hope you noticed as we read through that it it was the Lord that was giving them the land. It was the Lord that allowed you to stand before your enemy. It was the Lord who was fighting for you. But verses 3 and 4 talk to us specifically about God's faithfulness to Israel in the past. It says, And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is He who has been fighting for you. And then he goes on in verse 4 to talk about the inheritance that they're able to receive. It was the Lord. You've seen this theme weaved in this entire book that it was God who ultimately was behind all of their victories. It was ultimately God. And all they needed to do was trust in Him. You had the time that seems to be at the forefront of our minds, and that is the battle of Jericho. When the Israelites did nothing except for obey God. They didn't have to use any of their own um, ingenuity or any of their own uh, battle um, battle prowess. All they did was walk around the walls seven times each day for six days. And then on the seventh day, they did it seven times. And And then the walls came down. It was God. It was God who was fighting for them. Now, Sometimes it's, it's, it's difficult to see that God is at work. But I think what the book of Joshua is showing us is that if we simply put our trust in God, then He will take care of all the rest. We need to trust in God. We need to lean on Him, not on our own understanding. We need to acknowledge Him as Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 say. So Joshua first says, that God has been faithful. Verses 3 and 4. But but he also says in verse 5 that God will continue to be faithful. See, God doesn't just leave us. After He's done something great for us, He doesn't leave us. He continues to be faithful to us. Verse 5, The Lord your God, He will thrust them out from before you and drive them from before you and you will possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. As we saw last time, there were still... Um, there were still enemies that needed to be displaced, that needed to be removed from this land. And so each of the tribes were responsible for their territory to remove the rest of the Canaanites from their land. At this point in the story, the main conquest was over, the main battles were, were done, but they, each of these tribes were responsible to trust in God to remove the rest of these people from off their land. And God required com- complete and total destruction. God will continue to be faithful. So what is it that Israel was supposed to do in return? Look at the first part of verse 6. Be very firm then to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. Faithfulness to God requires that we simply obey Him. It requires our simple obedience. And so that's what Joshua is talking about in the first part. He said, listen... God has been faithful to you. God will be faithful to you. So your responsibility, verse 6, is simply to obey Him. Simply to trust in Him. That's all it is. Sometimes we overcomplicate overcomplicate things in our, in our life. And we try to do all these special things. We try to have all these magic formulas to take care of all of our problems. And God says it just comes down to one simple thing. Be very firm to keep all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. For them, their Bible. That was it. The first five books of the Bible. That was their Bible at that time. For us, we have God's completed word of God. Word from Him. We have His completed word in our possession. And so God is simply saying to us, don't overcomplicate it. Simply obey. What have I told you to do? What have I told you to do? Who are you supposed to be trusting in yourself? Are you going to solve all the problems? Or are you going to trust Me? That's what God is calling us to do. So, in the last part of this chapter, we we move to how that happens or what it results in. And that is that faithfulness to God requires complete separation from evil. We'll see how this is played out. When we obey God, what that ultimately means, what that ultimately results in is that we are separated from evil. Now, for Joshua and Israel, it meant that they were going to um, not allow these Canaanite people to infiltrate or become their vices. They would not allow their gods to come into their camp. And the reason that we we must obey is is that we, we need to keep from evil. Look at verse 6 again, because I want to show you the connection there between our obedience and our removal from evil, our our withdrawal from evil. Verse 6, "...be very firm then to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses." That's the obedience part. "...so that..." Why do we need to obey God? "...so that you may not turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left so that you will not associate with these nations." And he goes on and he finishes at the end verse 7 by saying, and they will not bow down to their gods. That is why we need to obey, because if we do not, evil will become a part of our lives. So it requires that we are faithful to God, that we are obedient to Him. So the first thing that we're going to see is that obedience to God requires separation from idols or separation from evil. And we see that in verses 6 and 7 most clearly, as we just read. But I want you to notice in verse 7 the digression that takes place. Okay? First of all, in verse 6, if you don't obey God, then you'll turn from it. At the end, it says you'll turn from it to the right or to the left. But notice what also will happen next. You, so that you will not associate with these nations. Okay? It becomes an association where you're just doing things with them. It's not a big deal. But then look what happens next. Or mention the name of their God. Now you start talking with them about their gods, about their idols, about what works for them and their religion. And then, make someone swear by their name. And And then serve their gods. And then finally, that you bow down to them. It starts out with a simple disobedience to what God has commanded us to do, which ultimately leads to a bowing down to their gods. It's because it's a gradual process. We start over here with just, you know, God said to do this, but I don't fully agree with that. I'm not going to do that. So now all of a sudden we're associating ourselves with false teaching that is in the world, with evil things that are going on. We're just simply allowing them into our lives. And the next step is that now we're talking about these things that we used to find reprehensible. Now we're talking about them. And then we're making other people swear by their names. We're, we're being so concerned about them that we're thinking that they are the authority, that their gods are more important than our God, that their gods can even stand up against our God. And then the next thing we know, we're serving them and we're bowing down to them. Now you say, well, I've never bowed down to an idol in my life. I have no physical thing that I've ever bowed down to. But idols can be a lot more subtle than simply something that's put on our mantle. Uh, A a Buddha or some other false idol. Idols are simply things that come in front of God. They take first place over God. What is it that is the idol in your life? What is it that you are putting in front of God? That is what you're bowing down to ultimately. Ultimately. That is what you are bowing the need to. What is it that you spend most of the time, your time doing? What is it that you do not complain about going after? That very well could be your idol if you're putting it in front of what God has commanded for you. And Israel, throughout its history, was not very good at separating from idols, were they? In fact, in Judges chapter 2, which is, Chronologically, after this, they end up giving in to these false gods because they allowed these foreigners to associate with them. They give in to them, and in Judges chapter two, verses ten through nineteen, we find that Israel is now worshiping these false gods. These false gods, these idols, were also the cause of Solomon's downfall during the split of the kingdom. It was the cause of the fall of the northern kingdom of Israel. It was the cause of the fall of the southern kingdom of Judah. It was also a problem in the post-exilic period when they were, when they should have learned their lesson that they should not be bowing down to these gods. And yet it started with a simple disobedience of what God had commanded them to do. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 106 because I want to show you a little bit of a summary Of Israel and how they abandoned the God that they should have loved and served with all their hearts. Psalm Psalm 106. Let's begin in verse 34. They, that is Israel, did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them. But they mingled with the nations and learned their practices and served their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. And they shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with the blood. Thus they became unclean in their practices and played the harlot in their deeds. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against His people and He abhorred His inheritance. Then He gave them into the hand of the nations, and those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies also oppressed them, and they were subdued under their power. Israel had given up on serving God. And you find throughout the book of Judges that they had a long period of time, sometimes 40 years, where they would be away from God because they had allowed these Canaanites to infiltrate into their camp. They had allowed them to remain when God said they should have been destroyed. Turn back to Joshua chapter 23. Because I want to show you the consequences of taking this first step of obedience. The consequences of taking this first step of obedience are found in verses 12 and 13. Joshua says to them, for if you ever go back and cling to the rest of these nations, these which remain among you and intermarry with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know with certainty that the Lord your God will not continue to drive these nations out from before you. But they will be a snare and a trap to you and a whip on your sides and thorn in your eyes until, until you perish from off this good land which the Lord has given, given you. The first step of obedience of disobedience is found in verse 12. And that is, that they begin to associate with these false gods. They begin to intermarry with them. That's the natural next step. Now, Joshua is not saying that we should not intermarry with people outside of our race or our ethnicity. Notice verse 12. For if you ever go back and cling to the rest of these nations, these which remain among you, and intermarry with them so that you associate with them and they with you. The problem with them was not their race. Okay, God did set about part Israel as a special race, a special people. But the problem was not their race. The problem was their lack of faithfulness to God. God requires that we do not intermarry with those people who are not faithful to God. That is, non-believers. We should be people who are joining up in marriage with, with people who are also of like faith, who also believe in God, who also follow after Jesus Christ. We have examples of times when Israel was allowed to marry people outside of their race. And that's why I say it's not a problem of race or ethnicity or anything like that. Uh, Ruth, you're familiar with her. She was a Moabitess woman. And she married Boaz, an Israelite. Now, God had no problem with this. You know why? Because Ruth was a, a woman who was set apart to God. She was faithful to God. And so ultimately, intermarriage among other races is not a problem. The problem is when it comes to intermarriage of other religions, we could say. Other faiths. People who do not believe the Scriptures. People who do not believe Jesus, the Jesus Christ that is taught in the Bible. It's a matter of faithfulness. But the concept, So the first step is associating with them, and then what ends up happening is you start intermarrying with them. Solomon knew this very well. You remember Solomon? He, he had all these wives. And at the end of his life, a guy who should have been wise and, and understanding of what God desired of him, at the end of his life, we find that Solomon was sacrificing or setting up altars to Shemash and uh, to other false gods because he was trying to appease his wives. You see, once you get into that type of relationship, it becomes very difficult to serve God. But that doesn't mean it is impossible. God is gracious. And uh, at times, He allows those who are unsaved in a relationship when there's a mixed marriage in the sense of faithfulness to God, He allows for the other spouse to be married. But... Our responsibility is simply to follow after God. Our responsibility is to be obedient to Him. Notice the consequence in verse 13. Know with certainty that the Lord your God will not continue to drive these nations out, but they will be a snare and a trap to you and a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes. The nature of a trap is that it it lures us in with something that's enticing. But it always results in something of detrimental consequences. And the lure here is that those pagan practices seem to be something that is pleasurable, something that I would like to enjoy. And God is saying, don't let that happen because that is a trap. It may seem enticing, but it will ultimately result in these detrimental consequences. And He he lists them out for them. They will become a whip on your sides, thorns in your eyes, And it will finally lead to your death. He says at the end of the verse, until you perish from off this good land which the Lord has given to you, they will become a snare to you. So, if it is a separation from idols, what is it a separation to? We're turning from idols, but we need to turn to something. What is it? I believe verses 8-11 through 11 and verses 14-16 through 16 help us to see that it is a separation from idols, but it is a separation to God. To God. Look at verse 8. But you are to cling to the Lord your God as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out great and strong nations from before you. Look at verse 10. One of your men puts flight to a thousand. For the Lord your God is He who fights for you. And then notice... The, uh, the turning that is necessary in verse 11. So take diligent heed to, your, to yourselves to love the Lord your God. So the main command here is found in verse 8, and that is to cling, to cling to God, to put our confidence in, to commit ourselves never to stray from Him. Because ultimately, if we turn from idols to something else, it doesn't really matter. We have to turn from idols to God. This word cling is the same word that's used in verse 12. And it's, uh, it says there in verse 12, for if you ever go back and cling to the rest of these nations, if you if you join up with them, it's also the word that, that is used in Ruth chapter 1, verse 14. When Naomi sent her two da- daughter-in-laws away, remember Ruth clung to her mother-in-law and said, no, I will not leave you. That is the idea of what we are to do. It's because of... Uh, of our faithfulness to God. We are going to cling to him. That's the idea of faithfulness. Verse 11 tells us that we ought to love God. That we are to cling to God. Verse 8, verse verse uh, 11 tells us that we are to love God. That we are to give all that we have to God. And we're willing to to lay down our lives for him. And then we find the motivation in verse 9 and 10. Verses nine and 10 and 14 show us the motivation, the first motivation. that is that God's, God is faithful. God has promised to be faithful. Look at verse nine. "For the Lord, your God has driven out great nations and strong nations from before you." So if we were to look at verse eight, it says, "Cling to God." And then we could ask the question of verse eight, why? Why, Joshua should we cling to God? Verse nine tells us, "Because God has been faithful to you. God has been faithful." Verse 10 says, you put to flight a thousand people, but it's because the Lord's been fighting for you. You see, God's faithful to you. Verse 14, Now behold, today I am going the way of all the earth, and you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one word of all the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. That is, God has not failed you then he concludes, all have been fulfilled for you. Not one of them has failed. There's not even one time when God was unfaithful to you. That is our motivation to serve Him. Why should we be faithful to God? Because He has been faithful to us and He never is unfaithful. He never takes a break from being faithful to us. He never goes on vacation and says, I don't want to be faithful to these people anymore. He's always faithful. That is our first motivation. When we when we read this in verse ten, this one of your men puts the flight a thousand, we understand that that numbers or odds do not matter in the face of God. It doesn't matter how difficult our enemy is. We know this from Leviticus chapter twenty six, verses seven and eight. It says, Five will chase a hundred, a hundred will chase ten thousand. Deuteronomy thirty two thirty says, one will chase one thousand. You remember the story of Jonathan and his armor bearer who went up against these 20 Philistines. They were outnumbered. They should have been destroyed, but it was because that God was on their side. You remember Samson who killed a 1,000 people with the jawbone of a donkey. You see, it doesn't matter what our odds are. It doesn't matter how difficult the circumstances are ahead of us. When we have God on our side, anything is possible. God is not bound by things outside of himself. He is not, no one can ever tie him up. He's never up in heaven frustrated because he can't get something done. God's power is limitless. And that is what he's telling these people here in Israel. He's saying, listen, I have been faithful to you, I have destroyed all of these nations before you. You were small, Canaan was great. You should have been destroyed, but because I was fighting for you, you were able to have the victory. God is faithful. And we must trust Him. That is our first motivation. The second motivation is found in verses 15 and 16. First, we saw that we should be faithful to God because God has promised to be faithful to us. Secondly, we should be faithful to God because God has promised His judgment on those who disobey. Verses 15 and 16. It shall come about that just as all the good words which the Lord your God spoke to you have come upon you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the threats until He has destroyed you from off the good land which the Lord your God has given you. When you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God which He commanded you and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you and you will perish quickly from off the good land which He has given you. The basic principle in these two verses is that rebellion results in destruction. Rebellion to God results in destruction. You see, God is holy. And, God, and Joshua was showing that, listen, just as God is true to His promises, that He will give you all the great things that He has promised to you, He will also follow through on His judgment. If you are not submissive to Him, if you have not turned in faith to Jesus Christ, you can be confident that He will follow through on His judgment. And so we must be warned that rebellion against God results in destruction. This idea of turning away from God is the idea that we see in other parts of Scripture that we refer to as apostasy. And apostasy is always fatal. Just as God has blessed these Israelites and has been faithful to them in providing for them, so He will be Faithful to them and bringing upon them judgment if they turn away from Him. Our responsibility is to obey God. I want you to see three things from our study this morning. The first thing I want you to see is that God demands that you be holy, God demands your holiness. Isn't it interesting that Joshua does not say, you know, there's a lot of good things in this land and you know, although they may not be things that God wants for you, you can participate in them as long as you do it in moderation. Joshua doesn't say that. He says, no, follow all that Moses has commanded you to do. All that is in the book of the Law of Moses. God requires that we follow Him in everything. Sometimes we think that God is up in heaven trying to figure out a way to make us happy in a temporal sense, in a short-term sense. But God is not trying to make you happy ultimately. God is trying to make you holy. And as you allow Him to do that, as you allow the Spirit to work through the Word to change your life more into the image of Christ, you will be ultimately joyful, and we could say even happy. But do you realize that sometimes in life, we may be looking at our circumstances and in the short term, it does not feel like happiness. God, where are You? God, why are You bringing this circumstance into our lives? It may not feel like God is up there caring for us. But He has your best interest in mind. And your best interest is not that you are happy now. Your best interest from God's perspective is that you become holy. That is where you're going to find your most joy. That is where you're going to find the most satisfaction in this life and in the life to come. When, when Jesus Christ can present you blameless on that day. God demands that you be holy. Sometimes it requires that God takes us through some dark valleys, some deep waters, some difficult times in our lives, but we have to recognize that God is ultimately trying to get us to be faithful to Him. And if it means that difficult times have to come, He will bring those into our lives we have to recognize that He is working and He is trying to make us holy. He is working to make us holy. The second thing I want you to see, or I hope that you can see from this passage, is that the path to adultery, the path to idolatry begins with the sin of compromise. The path to idolatry, the path to completely turning our backs on God begins with sinful compromise. Do you ever wonder how a person like Satan goes from being the highest angel in heaven to the worst creature on earth. Do you ever wonder how Judas, someone who followed Christ all of his life, ended up betraying him at the end? What was it that changed? Now these are these are people, these two people are both we would call unbelievers, people who do not accept Jesus Christ as Lord. But do you realize that that happens even among believers? that there are times when we turn our backs on God. Think of Lot. Lot was called a righteous man in the New Testament, so we know that he's a believer, but at the end of his life, he offered up his daughters as a, as prostitutes. How could he do that? You ever wonder how the, the strongest man on earth, Samson, who who was set apart to God as a Nazarite. He had a special calling. How did he go from that to being a, a, a seduced weakling bound in chains after his hair had been taking, taken away? How did, how did that happen? Or Solomon. He was the smartest man on the earth and he, he ended up setting up altars of false gods to Shemash and Molech. Do you ever wonder how you Used to be a passionate servant of God, and now it seems like your life is filled with apathy. You care little about what God is doing. You, you seem like an apathetic observer at this point. Is it because that these people and us want destruction and heartache to come in our life? We want to give up on God. Is it because they looked from a very uh, early time in their lives? ahead and said, I want to completely reject God. It never starts out like that. It always starts with sinful compromise. One step. One small step. This isn't a big deal. It doesn't really matter. God doesn't really care. He'll forgive me. Think back to how you once were. When you were most committed to God, is there something that at that time seemed repulsive and you said, I don't think anybody should do that. Not just me. Nobody should be participating in that type of evil thing. Was there a time you were like that? Now think about now. Are you in a position where you're actually doing something that before you would have been abhorred at? How did that happen? How did that shift take place? That now, not only are you condoning it, allowing it in other people, but you're actually participating in it yourself. The way that that happens is by one small step of disobedience. It starts with one. So we have to recognize that idolatry begins with one small step of sinful compromise. That is how it happened with Israel. At this point in their history that we're reading about, they have been faithful to God. In fact, we'll find out next week that throughout their lives, throughout the lives of all these leaders and Joshua, they remained faithful to God. But when the next generation came, they started this small step towards idolatry. It starts in our lives the same way. Number three, the way to avoid sinful compromise is simply by obeying the Lord. The way in which we separate from sin, we could say in verses 6 and 7, is to cling to the Lord. Look at verse 6. Be very firm then to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law. Verse 7, So that you will not associate with these nations, these which remain among you. So how is it, Joshua... That we avoid, or that we we stay away from these associations, that we don't end up bowing down to them. He tells us in verse six, obey. It begins with obedience. You ever think about David, who, who started out as this little shepherd boy that seemed like nothing, and became one of the greatest followers of God, or Paul, who was a persecutor of the church, went on to become perhaps the greatest Christian to ever live, or Abraham, or Moses or Joshua, or Ruth, or Matthew, or John, or Peter? How did they become the greatest servants of God that we know about? It ultimately is because of the grace of God, but we could say that it happens through their simple obedience. Just like the step towards idolatry begins with one step, so does the step towards following God and being a servant of God. It begins with one step. I'm going to obey. I'm not going to give in to the cares of this world or the desires that I think are best or that will make me most happy. I'm going to follow God. I'm going to trust Him. Are you in the place that God wants you to be spiritually? Are you fully committed to giving God everything? Or is there something in this world that you are still clinging on to, that you are not willing to let go. Yes, I'll take God, but I have to hold on to these other things. God doesn't accept that type of worship or that type of obedience. He expects and demands full obedience. And you will find no greater joy in this life when you give up the idols of your heart and follow after God. There will be no greater joy in this life or in the life to come than when we are serving the God who doubly owns us. He owns us once because He created us. And He owns us twice because He redeemed us. And He is deserving of our worship. He is deserving of our eradication, our putting away of evil things. He is a great God and He deserves to be served. No other God is worthy of our devotion. God says in Isaiah, I am God and there is no other. There is no other. I am the true and living God. Faithfulness to God requires complete obedience and separation from evil. If God has already done that work of salvation in you, then I am primarily talking to you this morning. But maybe you're here and you don't know for sure whether or not you have a right relationship with God. Maybe you're not sure if you have been saved. If you could stand before God and be accepted into His heaven. Because you don't know if you've done enough things. If you need someone to explain to you how can you can be sure about your salvation, about your standing before God, <coughs> I'd be happy to talk with you after the service or any of the members here of the church would be happy to do so or point you to someone who can. I would urge you that your relationship to God is the most important thing in all of life. Nothing is more important. Everything else pales in comparison to it. And that is why we come on a day like today. That is why we set apart a day like this. To re- Calibrate our focus. To take our focus off of the things that are temporal, that are fleeting, that are fading away. We put them back on God where they belong. God demands our full obedience. Complete obedience. And we need to do that so that we do not allow these evil things to come into our lives and become a snare to us, a trap. Something that we cannot get out of. Let's bow together for prayer and ask God to help us in this way. Our Father, we are thankful for how Your Word instructs us and, and shows us the errors of our way. We also thankful, we're also thankful for how it shows Your greatness. You are an amazing God that You are faithful to people who are so unfaithful to You at times. And we, we admit Lord, that we are unfaithful to You so much. We need Your cleansing. We need the cleansing of Jesus Christ, our Savior. We're thankful that He provided a way for us at salvation and that He continually cleanses our sins and shows us our need to turn back to You. And we pray that You would help us to be faithful in that way. Help us as we go from here that we would be changed and that we would be instructed and seeking to be um, uh, seeking to be uh, changed by your spirit, allowing him to take first place, allowing you to have preeminence in our lives to put all other things aside so that you can have the glory that you deserve. You are a great God and worthy of our praise. Help us now we pray in Jesus name. Amen.